Hi there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Sadu, coming to you from Accra. I've had an interesting last couple of weeks, which we may or may not get into in this conversation, but it's I'm just off of the heels of an Ayurvedic treatment. And so it's interesting the different motions that I've gone through for this. But hopefully next year around the Hamilton, you won't be hearing me talk about all the dust as a problem anymore. So later for that, I'm excited for my guest today who is familiar with these tropics in a different kind of way. She's based in the US and she is the founder an inspiration strategist of Beyond the Four, a consultancy aimed at helping companies, their leaders, and their employees navigate interpersonal challenges and work more effectively as teams. A cognitive behavioral research scientist by training, she is passionate about working with tools to help guide and empower individuals to become accountable for their holistic health and well-being through education, understanding, and personal growth. Her career has taken her from the American South to the East Coast and now the Midwest in roles as an academic instructor and researcher with numerous publications to her credit to project management and advising. She has recently added proprietress to her accomplishments as the newly minted owner of St. Bernard's Hill House a five-star luxury villa experience in Tortola in the British Virgin Islands. Dr. Julene Christopher, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Thanks so much. Wonderful. So let's jump right in. Tell us where are you from, where are you local, and what is your craft? Absolutely. So I was born Christian St. Croix. That's one of the U.S. Virgin Islands. I moved to the States to go to university, and I've lived mostly, as you said, in the Southeast coast of the U.S., but now I reside in in the Midwest, in Minneapolis. I'm a behavioral scientist by training. My PhD is in public health. I worked in academic medicine for many years, creating behavioral interventions to address things such as maternal and child health issues, disparities in medical education, then uh, worked with minority women who were newly diagnosed with breast cancer. And now I've transitioned to consulting work in the healthcare space still, and uh, also with issues in social justice, in the social justice space as well. So if you were to put your craft in a nutshell, how would you describe the essence of Julene? Wow, that is a very big question. (laughs) I think I would say what really drives all of the different projects, the the work, as you put it, you know, the essence of Julie, Mm -hmm. it's it's just that collaborative mindset Mm -hmm. and the space where I exist to bring that community work together in a way that uses different lenses to figure out how to solve problems. Mm, I love it. I'm glad I I'm glad I pushed you for that answer <laughs> because it's a great one. <laughs> because I mean, what is very thematic of the podcast is this idea of problem solving. And so, yes, that sounds about right. And from what I've read and researched on you, it sounds very apropos. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit more. So you grew up 
in the islands, you came to the U.S. What inspired all of that? So why did you decide that the U.S. was the place where you were going to blossom professionally? Oh, I would say my parents are from British colonies, but they went to St. Croix, U.S. territory for us to be educated in in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so it was a a natural, easy path for me Mm -hmm. to be able to go to university. And then as I was in the States, many of my siblings as well were also educated in the United States, in the mainland. And so essentially, from there is is where and how I began meeting people and figuring out where I wanted to be able to make and set up roots. But also, as we've talked about before, I've also decided, you know, I wanted to go back to my island roots to, to be able to figure out ways to invest in the community because being in the islands, whether it's U.S. or British, it's still very, very important to me. That's where my roots are. And that's kind of where my heart is, really. So I have a friend who's also been a guest who's a Crucian, right? St. Crucian. Oh, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So it is a U.S. territory, but there's still kind of challenges with being a U.S., like the full access to all of the quote-unquote American benefits. So when you were coming, did you have any challenges with kind of immigration or, you know, long-term just kind of being able to stay and be in the U.S.? Or how how did you experience the actual, I want to say, logistics of your migration? Uh, actually, no. Coming from St. Croix, the U.S. Virgin Islands, it was an easy transition to getting a scholarship, going graduate and getting Pell Grants to mm-hmm. um, help pay for my college. And it wasn't as difficult as, say, someone who was coming from a non-U.S. territory. So for me, in that space, that was an easy transition. What was difficult was that cultural transition, because in the Virgin Islands and in, in many Caribbean islands, there are many different colonial flags, right, that flew over these various islands in the Virgin Islands and St. Croix, for example, you know, the more recent ones were the British, the U.S. And we have a very interesting sense of community, a cultural lens that is very different from the mainland. And so I think that was probably more of a difficult transition than actually getting resources to be able to go to to fund school. So why the where? So you you mentioned that you came to be in the States for school and for education, but why the where for where you are currently? So how did you come to be living, working and playing where you live? And then I also want you to, why the where for how you came to be living, working, living-ish, working and playing in Tortola in the British Virgin Islands? Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, let's start this way. So Mm -hmm. while I loved ability of being in academic medicine, I wanted to find a way, an economic engine to fund and create the types of projects that matter most to me. So Mm -hmm. I left the Lombardi Cancer Center at Georgetown, basically printed off my job announcements. I shuffled them on my bed, spread them out, closed my eyes. And true story, I just pointed at one and let 
fate decide. So, <laughs> so I ended up at the Minneapolis Veterans Hospital managing a multi-million dollar clinical trial in nephrology. And as a result, mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to meet quite a few leaders in the healthcare space and in the healthcare industry and moved on to other opportunities from there. In terms of the the BVI, I would say that I spent quite a bit of time after I left the VA, the Veterans Medical Center, and I did some consulting, some coaching work, but I spent a lot of time traveling and reading and meeting people just all over the world. And, you know, from there, recognized that I needed to grow not only my business acumen, but also my asset base to be able to then ultimately go back to the British Virgin Islands, in this case, to be able to create my company there called Cotera, which is a real estate development company in order to be able to expand and grow and and spend time there and and in in many ways to be able to to kind of my my social justice dream there as well. Interesting. So you mentioned increase your asset base. So as an academic, we often hear, you know, PhDs, they don't get paid that much. You know, it's always a struggle, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. So how did you go about doing that? You know, in terms, I mean, you, you had kind of the nine to five, did you have several hustles? How did you go about amassing the kind of capital that you, that you needed to feel comfortable with the, um, the expansion? So essentially I learned from various friends that I'd met along the way, how to invest. I'm still in the process of of learning. It's like the more you learn, the more you realize that you really have no idea what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But I learned from there. I used a lot of resources from a property that I had sold that I had in the islands and was able to then leverage that to build basically my financial assets to be able to then leverage and go from there and build out from there. Yeah. And that's pretty much makes a lot of sense because I think most people who are in real estate, it's all about leverage. You know, I know so many people, you you get your first one and you're on a roll because there's always this equity piece that you can then move with from there. So in terms of the um, the system there, because in Ghana, it's only in, I'd say the last 10 years that you've been able to get a mortgage to buy property. So in your experience in, in, in getting your property, was it all cash? How did you go about, you know, structuring the financing? Is there a mortgage system there? How how did that how did that work? I don't think so. Let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. I have now become a belonger, which basically means that through my mother's lineage, because that's where she was born in the British Virgin Islands, I was able to complete the paperwork, which then entitles you to be able to purchase property and even to vote. There mm-hmm. aren't really, I don't think the the system is is too different from the States in terms of, of acquiring a mortgage. Okay. But in my case, as I said, you know, I had that first property and then leveraged it with some investors in my case to be able to then acquire land and the additional property of St. Bernard's Hill House. Mm, okay. So that's part of a, and I guess a broader with your, with your company. So it makes sense that this is 
the business that you're in there. So tell us a little bit more about the belonger, because I read that. I was like, what a word. (laughs) No, it's a very colonial word, I think. (laughs) Yeah, leave it to the British to just give it a word that just is like, what? It's so you, <laughs> but in any case, it's a benefit. So, so tell us about what you know about the origins of that. And then also you kind of mentioned what it entitles you to, but where, where it's applicable and what it entitles you to. So I am not a hundred percent clear on where that term came from. And from okay. a friend who is an attorney, he is, he said, you know, Jeline, you were always a belonger, your mother's roots. She's mm. from here. She's a mm. part of, of the land. So you always were a belonger. This idea that you have to apply and, mm. and seek permission is really ludicrous. So from that perspective, I will start from there to say being a belonger, you're a part of, of the land, the territory, the people, the community, the mm. cultural identity and you know while it entitles you to be able to vote in the elections to be able to to have property what ends up happening is the property that you purchase any transactions because there's no real taxes it's okay, just transactional yeah. costs that you end up paying they're very different for people who mm-hmm. are belongers versus mm-hmm. anyone who wants to be an outside investor the percentage would be, I think, something, it really depends on whether it's like, for example, construction costs, or if you want to purchase property, uh, the percentage points are, are different, but they're significantly higher for people who are non-belongers versus people who are belongers. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of, I guess it's similar to how it is here. It's like a legacy of colonialism, right? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So the question also is, are you a belonger only in Tortola or are you, are you a belonger in any of the islands? It is a belongership for the territory, the British Virgin Islands. So okay. it's made okay. up of many different islands, but the, the majority, the larger ones are Gios Van Dyke, Tortola, mm-hmm. Virgin Gorda, Norman Island, Cooper Island, Peter Island. There are a lot of different islands. Tortola is just one of the main ones where where quite a few people live, but the belongership is only for that particular territory because at at one point I tried to see if the belongership extended, for example, to St. Caicos or to Bermuda, where one of my siblings has lived for uh, well over 20 something years, or even, for example, uh, St. Kitts, which is also another British territory. My understanding is that because my father was born there, and I'm still exploring kind of what it entitles me to in St. Kitts, for example, I can produce his birth certificate Mm -hmm. as well as my own, and I can apply for citizenship there. But it is very different in St. from what happens in the British Virgin Islands. So they're not one and the same. So you have two passports? One passport. In terms of the belongership, I have a belonger card that I present at immigration, any point of of entry or or exit in uh, the British Virgin Islands. And it also entitles me to be able to apply for a passport for the UK. I just have never explored that. So much information. I'm so happy that we made this happen because it's so much new information. So you would get a UK passport. Okay, so what kind of leader do they have? And I I don't want to seem so ignorant, but so 
Does no. the island have a president or does it have a prime minister? They do have a premier. They also have, and this is strictly for the for the British Virgin Islands. They have yes. they have a premier. They do have a governor that is appointed by the crown. Right now, there is quite a bit of, of turmoil with the government. The previous prime minister found himself in a particular challenge in terms of drugs when he came to the U.S. and he was held, detained. And so then a new prime minister was then put into place, an acting prime minister was put into place. And right now, actually this month, they are going through new elections to elect a new governmental body. Unfortunately, when I was there, I missed the opportunity to register. So I am not registered this time around, but the process is still ongoing in terms of me learning what my my duties there would would consist of. When did you start the process of, first of all, starting your business there and then securing property? Sure. So in 2016, one of my cousins who is a real estate attorney there, we spoke probably about 2015, 2016, and he made me aware of just the process of going through, completing the paperwork, becoming uh, a belonger. And he was really instrumental in helping me to be able to complete the paperwork. It was very interesting when I got to the office and there were a, a long line. And of course, everyone is just talking amongst themselves. You know, one woman was, I remember she was just in virtually in tears because she had come back like three or four times. And each time they told her, you know, you you don't have the correct paperwork or something wasn't checked properly. And she was just lamenting, you know, saying, this is your first time. It probably won't be your last. And so I, I just remember having this sinking feeling in my stomach, like, oh my God, what am I? Okay. Just get it together. I'm going to go in and I'll just see what I need to do. Just one step in front of the other. And so I got to the window and the clerk just, you know, said, okay, give me the paperwork. And her eyebrows just went up and she was so, she said, you have everything that you need. And I almost got to my knees. (laughs) It's just like so weak thinking, Oh my God, bless you, cousin, for helping me to be able to have. So finally, I got all the paperwork stamped. I had to go to different offices in the same building to get different stamps, but I had everything I need. So by 2017, I was officially a belonger. I had my belonger card. I later then got a national health card to be able mm-hmm, to access mm-hmm. the healthcare system there. And then I started the process of, of looking around in 2018 for mm-hmm. property and things at the time were still rather expensive. But during 2017, 2018, there was also two very horrible hurricanes that just mm-hmm. ravaged mm-hmm. the island. And so by about 2018, I started talking again to one of my cousins, as well as to some agents that were in the BVI. And they said, okay, once we get everything established in terms of 
you know, getting the island back up and running, you should come down and, you know, we can just take a look at, at, you know, what the opportunities are. And that's really how I was able to leverage getting the first property and the second, the land, because Mm -hmm. unfortunately for some, the hurricanes were devastating, but it also provided the opportunity to be able to say, okay, I want cash for this particular deal, or I want, you know, Mm -hmm. some arrangement Mm -hmm. to be able to then acquire the properties. Hurricanes happened. So that was around 20. So you acquired everything that you currently have around 2018 is what I'm, I'm hearing. Uh, Yeah, I would say between 2018, 2019, pandemic then became right. And so I was, you know, at home with my partner and we're just Fiddling our thumbs, we're thinking we are really uh, happy to be here in this space with each other. We're healthy. The world is healing. I mean, it, it was just this interesting energy in the air. And then we thought to ourselves, okay, how can we help? What kinds of opportunities are out there? And then we just started making calls and we were able to go down because the BVI too, Mm -hmm. they had very strict protocols in terms of allowing people back into the country. You had to quarantine for almost two weeks. And so we had the time because I started working from home from about 2016. So, you know, the transition for most, while it was difficult for some, for me, it was easy because I had already begun that process of working from home. So yeah, about 2018, 2019, that's when a work, the heavy lifting began. Okay. Okay. So you went down and you were there to kind of see what you were working with and bring it back or bring it to the point. As we've spoken before, you've given a little bit of history about this property, St. Bernard's Hill House. So this is a historic place. So it had an identity before. So as you mentioned, you know, people were, the hurricanes did some damage. So I'm assuming this was one of those properties that may have been damaged and needed some rehabilitation. Tell us the background of that particular property. Well, interestingly, St. Bernard's Hill House did not sustain the type of structural damage that left it at a deficit, if you will. Mm. There were just minor things like the windows, but it, it's built in the very old, I guess, I, I hate using the term West Indian, but it, it's built in the old traditions of the Danish. And so the architecture made primarily of concrete, the way that it's positioned, it's on top of a mountain, but it doesn't have glass. So it didn't really sustain the type of damage that a lot of other properties that are, you know, more modern, if you will, and and much more exposed, which I think was an added benefit. And I'm really reluctant to structurally change that in any way, because you really have to be very conscientious about where you are and the types of structures that make the most sense in those spaces. At St. Bernard's Hill House, you do have the opportunity to have very large mahogany doors that can open. And so you're able to let the outside in. You're able to just have this vast, expansive, you know, 300 degree view of St. John, one of the U.S. Virgin Islands. You can see St. Thomas off into the distance. 
It's on the western part of the island. So you, you get to see a lot of these other islands. You get to see Jos van Dyke. Beautiful sunsets. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it wasn't really damaged from that perspective. And, okay. and so there are some ruins and I'm still uncovering information in terms of what was there. I'm doing that through trying to access historical documents, just listening to stories from my mother. My mother is now 93 years old. And from the stories that she has shared so far, it's, you know, what struck me is one, going to the Western part of the island, especially in in this very high-end community, it wasn't something that they necessarily had access to. So St. Bernard's Hill House was most special to me because my mother never envisioned for herself that when she would tell me these stories and wanted for her children to come back and invest in the British Virgin Islands, that one of her kids would actually own an estate Mm -hmm. on the mountain with one of the best views, if I dare say the best view (laughs) on Tortola. And it's special from, from those perspectives. And My understanding is that the properties had uh, two owners, the original owner who built it, and then a British family who lived there for 10 years. And then they decided that they wanted to go back to the UK and spend more time there with their children and their family. And so it just provided the opportunity for me to acquire the property. So the hill is called St. Bernard's Hill. Correct. And so on top of the hill is St. Bernard's Hill. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Okay. So let's take a a step into the local life. And I want to ask you about Glocal Speak. So we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you come to value it as Glocal Speak. Sure. I've thought about that a lot. And, you know, I would say community and having a collaborative mindset. That mindset is in my DNA coming from the Caribbean. And I really feel like working together on any of the projects that I work on using different lenses, whether it's coming from academia, from industry, from healthcare, from technology, and most importantly, a cultural lens is how we find solutions to problems. So I would definitely say community and having a collab set, that is how we find solutions to problems. That is very locally speaking. I like it. (laughs) Okay, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we spoke about problem solving. And so I want to switch back lanes into kind of the beyond the fork process. So, you know, you mentioned why you went back, you wanted to give back, but now you're working two businesses ultimately. So you have a business in the U.S. and you have another business that you're you're building and, and working as well. So tell us a little bit more about your work with Beyond the Fork and how you came to to develop that and how you're managing this by not island, I guess this dual, (laughs) this dual citizenship, let's call it that, this dual citizenship. Sure. Okay. So yes, I I split my time between my work in the U.S. and my work in the British Virgin Islands. In the U.S., I work as a consultant with startups, primarily in the biotechnology space to create enhanced patient experiences. My focus is it's very human-centered, regardless of the role of each player and whether 
it's a patient, a client, a health practitioner. I also work with other entrepreneurs to help them bring culturally sensitive products to market through collaboration. I help them think through first the human elements, then the cultural and racial dynamics that help enhance their product or desired outcome. And so in walks this, this idea of beyond the fork, beyond the proverbial fork in the road. A friend and I were musing mm -hmm. one day over lunch and I was trying to think about, okay, how do you capture that consulting arm of your consulting company to be able to address those issues that come under what a lot of people, you know, here in the States talk about in terms of, you know, issues of diversity and race. And there are a lot of, of companies that spend time thinking through training. And my thing was, if diversity could be trained away, we would have come to a particular solution or, or, or conclusion a long time ago. And so for me, it's, again, that collaborative mindset working together to be able to address various problems, all kinds of problems, really, because problems and different ways of thinking about the challenges that occur, whether it's in a company or even in interpersonal relationships, they involve human beings. And with those human beings, you know, finding strategies, being heard is one way to be able to, to have a, a more effective outcome, if you will, is recognizing that there are multiple ways, multiple strategies, and finding hybrid approaches to these strategies is one way. And so Beyond the Fork was this brainchild of taking that collaborative mindset, working with a whole slew of coaches that were across the country and in a couple different parts of Europe where mm -hmm. we would, you know, come together. We we started out having a project that we were piloting in this one particular company really to just, in essence, see if the platform that we had developed, this idea of bringing all these coaches together to uh, strategize and find creative ways to help teams function more effectively. And we you know, started working with companies, but then what ended up happening is, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, there were a lot of different companies trying to invest in Black-owned organizations or companies or people invest in the diversity mindset or in diversity strategies and training groups and, and a whole slew of other things. And what ended up happening is that then lost it's steam after a while, right? It's like there is all of this energy. And on one hand, it was very positive. It brought so much that BIPOC people living in this country experience every day. It brought it to the forefront. But then with the economic changes really around the world, but also in this country, companies just started deciding that they wanted to invest their money differently. So it became a hard sell. The, the idea of diversity training, the idea of finding collaborative solutions that, that have that bent towards working collaboratively from an ethnic lens, it just 
kind of, I don't want to say fizzled out, but it's not a priority as much as it was. And so we've had to just step back from pushing, you know, bringing those strategies into companies because they're not, the companies I mean, are not investing their dollars that way anymore. It's just becoming a little bit a more difficult sell. That is so interesting because yeah, there was, I know a number of people, a number of friends that went into that space, right? So there was this whole frenzy of hiring, particularly black women for the diversity roles and all of those things. And so it's interesting to hear that, you know, on the corporate, the bigger corporate side, yeah, the steam has been, I guess, pulled back. And so how now do you see that impacting this workforce of the the present and quote unquote future, you know, because we had this event and we're thinking we're making this forward progress, but you're basically saying that they said, ah, we throwing their hands up in the air and just, you know, forget about it. So what's next? How do you see the the vision or the mission, or was it even just ill-conceived from the start? Well, you know, I think Beyond the Fork presented so many opportunities because, you know, we're seeing several other companies that are attempting to spin off from the idea of not calling the work that they're doing in that diversity, equity, and inclusion space, but it's more that interpersonal space. It's more about mm-hmm. personal development and finding creative ways to help people to become more human-centered, more focused from the perspective of doing the inner work, but then how then am I able to translate that to engage better with others, right? And so there are some companies that are doing that. For me, that is part of my my mindset, my my mantra, my own personal, oh, what do I want to call it? It's how I, I choose to move forward in this world. And so the second part of what I spend time doing in the States is through my foundation, the Christopher Bergmark Foundation, where mm. I'm able to fund and co-create with colleagues the types of projects that are meaningful to me, such as ones in women's health issues in the space of health disparities and racial justice. And so through there, that's where I'm able, like I was saying before, that I realize that you need an economic engine to be able to really make some type of a meaningful impact, meaningful for how you're defining it. And for example, after the George Floyd murder, that's when I co-founded with a good friend, uh, Jerry Blackwell, who was the lead on the prosecution team to convict Chauvin, we co-founded the Minnesota Equity and Justice Project. And our interest Mm -hmm. is to act as conveners to bring together and uplift the efforts of all the amazing folks in the Twin Cities doing so much meaningful and impactful work in criminal justice. And so... Jerry has since moved on to become a federal judge, which we are so excited, so delighted, and very happy for him. And now I work with the CEO of the Minnesota Humanities and also in collaboration with with Mitchell Hamlin School of Law and the Center for Black Lives and the Law. And so those are the folks, as well as a few other friends and colleagues who are attorneys and one friend who is the editor of a local newspaper, 
we work together to continue the work of the Minnesota Equity and Justice Project. That's great. That's amazing. So basically, you're ultimately saying it now falls back on the people to do their part. Ultimately, we can't rely on institutions that are already in existence. It's now the people and, and changing that mindset to the human focus, right? And making the accountable much more personal, which I think makes a lot of sense. Thanks for joining us for part one of my conversation with Dr. Julene Christopher. Please be sure to come back next week when she will tell us more about her work in social justice and also the business of running the St. Bernard's Hill House. As always, you can catch us with new episodes on Tuesdays at GlocalCitizensPod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, you get the drift. Subscribe, like, share, tell a friend, and leave us a review, particularly on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps others find great content online. So until next time, bye for now.